Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today we're joined by Robert Van Barneveld to talk about welfare and sustainability in Australian pork production. How are you doing today, Robert? I'm well, thanks, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to have you on to talk about welfare and sustainability. We had the opportunity to touch base for a little while, uh, probably a month ago, and there's a lot of things that are going on in Australia and a lot of perspectives that are different and pretty progressive and pretty cool that I think a lot of people would be interested in learning today. And so if you wouldn't just mind start by introducing yourself and your background and how you got involved in pork production, think that'd be a great place to start and then I'll probably ask you a little bit about some pork as well. Yeah no problem so um, I'm the group CEO and managing director of a company called Sun Pork in Australia. Uh, we're the largest pig producer in Australia. We have 51,000 sows uh, across 43 sites, uh, a couple of abattoirs, a couple of value-add plants and uh, we own the PIC franchise in Australia so we're pure, uh, we're, we're an end-to-end value chain from genetics right through to retail. I got involved in in pork production um, a long time ago now. Um, It was my interest when I was at university studying agricultural science. Uh, When I finished uni, I went and did a a PhD with a guy called Ted Batterham uh, in amino acid nutrition of the pig. Um, And in 1993, I moved to South Australia to be a a research scientist with the South Australian government. I moved into consulting in about 1998 um, and from there took on a range of commercial nutrition roles, then actually maintained an import as a research scientist. Uh, And I started working for the Cameron Hall McLean Group as a consultant in about 2002. And um, that culminated uh, culminated with me becoming chair of the board of Sunfork in 2013. Uh, And when we amalgamated the value chain, I uh, took on an executive role in 2016 and have been doing that ever since. Awesome. So as as CEO and director of Some Pork, we were talking earlier, it seemed like welfare and sustainability were things that were top of mind for you. Would you be able to just kind of start at a high level perspective without getting too into the weeds on the philosophies or the strategies that you're employing? Why welfare and sustainability in the Australian pork market are on top of mind for you as someone who's leading some pork? Yeah, I mean they're they're um, they're almost becoming weasel words for a lot of organisations. Uh, there's some boxes that you might have to tick to to show you're a good corporate citizen. Sun pork certainly doesn't take that approach. They are critical to our future as a food producer. Um, so, you know, we regard pigs as sentient beings, and I think we accept that the days of just producing pigs for the sake of producing pigs 
um, are gone, you're going to be as a pork producer under more scrutiny going forward around your attitude to your animals, how you treat them, how you approach uh, their welfare. And um, you have to be able to demonstrate that in producing food, you're not having a negative impact on other parts of uh, the environment. So we as an organisation regard pigs as a sentient being. Our job is to ensure they have the best life and the best death possible. Um, and then it's absolutely critical that we make uh, full use of that animal um, when it enters the food chain. So in regards to welfare, what are the steps that Sun Pork is taking to lead the Australian pork market in regards to welfare? And how does the Australian pork market look at uh, look at welfare in regards to housing and other other practices, maybe like castration or or some of the things that are that are a topic? Uh, how do they focus on those? Yeah. Um... Look, the pork industry in Australia um, was the first in the world to voluntarily remove sow stalls, and uh, Sun Pork was at the forefront of that. And we we voluntarily removed sow stalls um, uh, very early in in the piece, so we started doing that in around two thousand and seven. Um, that created a lot of angst for the industry and the organisation, um, but effectively, by doing it and doing it properly, like I mean, removing them. Uh, we were able to demonstrate that stalls were really just a, a crutch for um, lazy sow management. Uh, we manage them very effectively in groups and we've ac actually seen our productivity increase over time as we've um, learned to manage sows in groups exclusively. Uh, as a country, we do not physically cast straight. Um, we use uh, um, Improvac, so a vaccination against uh, DNRH um, as a way of ensuring we limit bortate in entire males. Uh, and look, Australia is starting to move to heavier carcass weights that are enjoyed by other parts of the world, and we're still um, not physically castrating those heavier animals and using that vaccination very effectively. Uh, we don't ear notch. We don't clip teeth. Uh, we do tail dock, um, but we've recently been awarded a $3 million grant from the federal government to investigate the causes of tail biting. And through that understanding, we hope to then ultimately eliminate tail docking as our last form of mutilation. Um, so, you know, th they're the basic um, husbandry practices. We've also invested very heavily in alternative farming accommodation, and we still have some way to go uh, with those investigations. And we understand the consequences of, of um, being successful in that endeavour. Um, and beyond the pure husbandry, as an organisation, we've had a, a massive focus on antibiotic reduction. So we're in a position where we can we can um, identify the, the dose of any kind of antibiotic uh, to any pig on any farm any day. Uh, and through that program with our in-house veterinarians, we've successfully reduced antibiotic use by about 70% since we started the program five years ago. So, uh, you know, we have a, a genuine focus on, on these elements. Um, beyond that, we have a patented sow block um, that's used for enrichment uh, and um, a number of other initiatives we're looking at in terms of uh, uh, enrichment of younger pigs and growing pigs. That's really impressive. So you talked about the, the housing. Is that in both farrowing and gestation where there's no stalls or is there like a, a period during birthing in farrowing where they are um, kind of locked down to, to prevent the excessive movement. 
Yeah, at the moment, um, we're sow stall free during gestation. Uh, we still utilise farrowing crates. Uh, and look, there would be a transition period out of farrowing crates. Um, but uh, look, I'm, I'm of the view that we have to take the ascendancy with farrowing crates. They're becoming less and less defendable. If you look at what's happening in Europe and New Zealand, you know, you, you are going through ridiculous processes to make decisions around how animals are farmed. And the people making the decisions have no idea how to farm animals. So we need to take the ascendancy as an industry, work out ways that we can successfully farrow sows without confinement at any point, and at the same time, maintain the current space allocations that we're, we're providing during farrowing so that we don't become totally uncompetitive from a cost of production perspective. Bear, do you have any, um, are you able to speak to some of the things that are happening in New, New Zealand in regards to some of the excessive changes that are being required over there? Yeah, New Zealand is uh, a really good example of when you, uh, as an industry, lose touch with regulators, I think. Um, and we have um, six or seven farms in New Zealand, so we're getting to live the experience. Oh, um, but effectively, um, uh, you know, a, a number of animal welfare groups uh, sued uh, the National Animal Welfare um, group in uh, in New Zealand that was um, responsible for setting the, the model code and, and guidelines for pork production, saying that they had a flawed process um, and they won. And uh, that effectively meant that um, those standards and guidelines had to be reviewed. Now, uh, the reviewed guidelines um, are taking some very extreme steps. So, you know, they're talking... Um, you know, six to seven square metres uh, for farrowing. They're talking about doubling the amount of space required for grower accommodation. Um, you know, these these are wow. um, pretty non-transparent, or sorry, pretty transparent ways of just putting um, pig producers out of business through through the uh, guise of a model code. And, and uh, you know, in that situation, you have people that have never farmed uh, a pig um, making judgments on space allocations for farrowing sows and deciding what what's best for them, and that's a situation you know I, I never want to see repeated anywhere else. Absolutely. So yeah, I guess uh, when we talked a while ago, we also talked about carbon credits and this whole sustainability push that's that's coming, where you can hint more or less buy your way to carbon neutrality through carbon credits. And uh, I know you had a very interesting take on that. Could you kind of talk about how Sunpork's approach to sustainability is not necessarily the, the I guess, what is commonly talked about today around sustainability? Yeah. I mean, sustainability is a word that's bandied around. Um, I mean, the only thing, and the, there are lots of definitions, um, but the one thing that's clear when you use that word is it has three pillars. Um, it's economic. Uh, environmental and, and social, and all of those pillars have to be met simultaneously for you to be sustainable. You can't just focus on one of them, uh, and too often we do that. Um, now, when when we're talking about um, carbon emissions, there's a reason that pig production's you know so successful, and, and why pork is the most consumed meat around the world. Uh, and that's because pigs can take things that otherwise would have to be disposed of, consume them, and then turn, turn them into valuable forms of protein and energy. 
And we need to exploit that and remember that that's the, fun, the foundation of, of pork production. So we need to focus on the fact that we can make a net contribution to food. And in doing that, we have an obligation to absolutely limit our outputs uh, in terms of um, impacts on the environment and do that um, in a cost-effective way. Now, just by going out and buying a carbon credit is a lazy way of buying a licence to pollute. And as a business, we're not going to be part of that. Uh, if we're going to say that we're carbon neutral, we're going to be carbon neutral. We, well, in fact, our aspiration is to be carbon negative. So, um, you know, we don't want to go through the farcical marketing type exercise of, of offsetting 5% of our carbon emissions by, you know, investing in a wind farm in another country and then selling any 5% of our production as carbon neutral. I mean, that is just misleading and it's not, ultimately, if everyone takes that approach, um, we're not going to change anything. That's fair. So what are some of the things that Sunpork is doing to be more sustainable and really drive towards not only carbon neutrality, but carbon negative? Yeah, well, the first step in that process is to actually understand what your outputs are. So, you know, we're investing in, in our own uh, life cycle analysis across the value chain uh, so that we understand our emissions up to the point of a, a piece of pork in a distribution centre. Um, so we need to understand that first, and we've developed a good understanding of that. Then um, once we have that understanding, you know, we need to set some uh, science-based targets as an organisation on where we think we can make the best improvements in our system to reduce our overall outputs. Um, and then uh, we're also taking a slightly different approach, and it's something the, the ruminant uh, industries have looked at, and that's calculating our net protein contribution. So we're um, looking at the protein consumed in our pig production systems versus the protein that we ultimately produce. And in looking at that protein consumption, you have to make a range of assumptions around how much of that protein could have directly entered the, the, the human food chain rather than via a pig. Um, when you start taking that approach, you, know, you realise that as an organisation, you have to focus on, on procuring raw materials that otherwise wouldn't have had a path directly into the human food chain. And when you start doing that, you, you are making a very positive net protein contribution to the food chain. That, that's a fascinating approach, and it makes makes a lot of sense. I heard someone talking about that the other day with aquaculture, um, where instead of feeding um, fish that are consumers of maybe plant-based stuff that people wouldn't actually be using, uh, when we're raising farms or out at sea, fish that are consuming other fish, well, now we're losing that net benefit on that protein because we're just feeding protein for protein. So that was fairly interesting, and it's very nice to hear that you're taking that approach on the pig side. Yeah. I'd ask, what input do you think has the area of most opportunity or influence when it comes to uh, striving towards carb being carbon negative? Um, <clears throat> well, um, the more byproducts or co-products that you can use in your in your feed, the better. Um, and uh, you know, there's some interesting debates around what actually constitutes a byproduct. Uh, and okay. That, that's really pertinent when you're talking about oil seed meals. Uh, are they produced for the oil or for the meal? Um, you know, 
if the uh, if if people are growing canola in Australia primarily for vegetable oil, the meal is very much, in my opinion, a byproduct that would otherwise have to be disposed of, you know, buried or burnt. So the pig industry is doing that sector a favour by consuming it. Um, soybeans are a far more dynamic and and bigger um, consideration and. And, uh, you know, it's very much grown with, with both purposes in mind. So it becomes a little bit more academic in terms of how you classify that input. But, uh, you know, if we can, you know, we're at the current global grain markets, <clears throat> pardon me, and, um, and uh, our uh, logic doesn't really apply to some of the pricing that we're seeing, you know, really emphasises our need to be looking at um, effective utilisation of downgraded grains. and. And um, and other products that that um, and and giving them home in the form of pig production, and we have the best capacity as a livestock producer to do that over any form of livestock, in my opinion. So that's that's the lowest hanging fruit. Um, certainly, biogas capture and generation of your own electricity, um, and from our perspective, taking that another step and actually capturing CO two that we can then use in our um, abattoirs, etc. Um, are areas where you can have a, a huge impact, reduce your production costs, and uh, you then have the added benefits of being sell, able to sell some of those accumulated carbon credits to uh, other people. So to tie things all back, we talked about all the things that have been done around welfare and sustainability to uh, strive towards what the consumers have been really pushing for and what what it. What, how you guys see um, modern pork production, uh, where you guys see it needing to go. One question I think a lot of pork producers have in the U.S. is that the consumer's demands, the scrutiny, the stuff that really might not make a lot of sense, like what you'd hear in New Zealand that you were alluding to, that no matter what we do, they're always going to be talking about what we need to be doing better. And so I'd like to ask that with all of the progress that has been made on the welfare and sustainability side in Europe, in response to consumer demands, have you felt a relaxed sense of pressure from the consumer or are they still coming as hard as ever? Uh, I think we have to be, um, we shouldn't generalise uh, and say it's the consumer. I mean, sure. a lot of the noise comes from a very vocal minority uh, that have no no hesitation in, in making sure everyone uh, accepts their point of view uh, with no quarter given for anyone else's. So, um, you know, as as an industry, we need to be prouder of what we do. And, um, you know, I mentioned early, earlier, as a business, some pork producers, pigs for food, we accept they're sentient beings. So we give them a good life and a good death, but we, we accept they're there to produce food for us. And we, we very openly say that. Uh, it takes a fair bit of heat out of, out of the argument. Uh, the fact is that a lot of consumers have no idea what they're their, um they're they're buying, if you like, in terms of the provenance of of uh, a pork product. They're taking um, the the word of a retailer or a vocal minority as you know. You must have this because this is good. Um, the way around that is really to develop very strong relationships with the retailers. Uh, as an industry, stop looking over your shoulder. Start looking forward. Look at the attributes that make the industry. As successful as it has been over hundreds of years and focus on them and deliver because um, you know in a lot of cases we have the luxury of never being hungry uh, and um, 
you know, people have to understand that, that animal production systems aren't a luxury. They're an inherent part of the food chain and we need them. So we don't, um, I suppose we don't look at it as, as an added pressure. We try to stay ahead of the game. Um, there are some things that are clearly there simply to make production harder. So mm-hmm. it's very important for us to to be clear about, you know, why they exist in a production system and accept that, uh, as humans, we're not perfect animals, but we do exist as a population and we have to be fed. So because you guys are so proactive and ahead of the game comparatively to the rest of the world, do you think that gives you more credibility when talking to retailers and other groups and saying, you know, we're we're making a push and comparatively you can see that? And do you think you get more? Yeah, or you, you kind of get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um I think it gives us tremendous credibility and we've got to be willing to back ourselves as a business. Um, we will never, you know, this comes to, you know, making claims about carbon neutrality or making uh, welfare claims. We will never implement any of those activities within our business as part of a marketing exercise or under the vision that we might attract a premium in the marketplace. That We will never do that. We have to incorporate those things into our business as part of business as usual. Um, and we don't accept that those things necessarily have to be an impost on cost of production. You know, it's our job to actually get them into the system so they're not, because ultimately um, it underpins our sustainability as a food business. So um, it, it, it means your energy is being directed into things that you can control and make a difference around rather than trying to defend things uh, and you know, in defending, uh, if you used barrowing crates as an example, you're never going to change the uninformed perception of what they, they look like. You can consume a massive amount of energy trying to do that and ultimately not be successful. Mm-hmm. You might be better off redirecting that energy into, into understanding why the perception's bad, looking at, uh, you know, pig farmers are incredibly innovative. Um, you don't work with pigs because you don't like them. Uh, you're in the best position to, to um, you know, understand them and develop husbandry procedures that work for both. And uh, you want to take that ascendancy and, and it, it really um, takes a lot of pressure off in terms of those, you know, vocal minority who don't like what you're doing because you are the one making the difference. That's great. So a couple of questions I asked to wrap wrap up my interviews here is the first one is what's something unique about you that most people you work with do not know? Uh, as a human being, um, <laughs> I, I, spent, uh, I spent a lot of time playing the drums. <laughs> so that's uh, something that doesn't actually find its way into uh, the workplace very often. And, um, and uh, I am actually outside of agriculture. I spend a lot of time committed to the autism sector and uh, uh, leading an organisation that, that's making a big difference in the research field in that, that part of the world. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I have to ask, when it comes to playing the drums, what kind of music you're playing? Are you headbanger 80s style rock and roll or what are you, what are you playing? Uh, when you play the drums, um, you have the most fun when you play a really wide range of genres. So I'll, I'll play everything from jazz through to hard rock. Awesome. Just have so the to last... make my hearing in the practice. <laughs> <laughs> the last question I ask is a golden nugget. What's a life lesson that you've picked up that you want to share with listeners? 
Um, I think, um, and it, you know, hopefully it's been reflected in some of the things that I've been saying. Um, if you, you know, if the things you do in life are all about you, uh, you're you're going to struggle. Uh, if you if you um, have a clear view on what you want to achieve and you commit to doing those things because they're the right thing to do, the opportunities that that's going to confer you um, and the progress you're going to make through life are far are going to far exceed uh, those that might present themselves if you're only doing them for your own your own well-being and advancement. So uh, it is very much about um, finding causes you're passionate about, committing to them, doing them for the right reason, and that's not always financial return. Focus on the outcome, and when you do that, the range of other opportunities and, and recognition that come will be endless. So make sure you're doing things for the right reason. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's been a real pleasure to learn about your business, your background, uh, the Australian pork industry, even a little bit about New Zealand there. And we wish you the very best moving forward. And, and again, can't thank you enough for your time. Thanks, Matthew. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Thank you.